welcome to This Week in Video Games, episode 25. My name's Tom Kershaw, and this is a podcast all about the world of video games. So this week, I've been playing through Streets of Rogue, and I caught up with the creator, Matt Dabrowski, for this week's interview. I've also been playing Limbo, a classic little indie platformer. In the news this week, Luigi's Mansion 3 gets a release date, Ubisoft cause a fuss with their music for Watch Dogs Legion, and Respawn have some innovative ways to deal with cheaters in Apex Legends. So it's a pack show, so let's get to it. Welcome to the show everyone, I hope you're well and you're having a good week. It's been a great week of gaming this week as I got into Streets of Rogue, a new roguelite from Matt Dabrowski. It's one of the most innovative, free and open games I've ever played and it's got a great art style and awesome music too. So Matt was very kind and he took the time to talk to me earlier in the week so I've got that interview coming up after my review of the game. Uh, It's a great game and pretty much available on every platform, so I recommend checking out the review and then going out there and buying it. Otherwise, this week I've been enjoying more of Destiny 2 with a season of opulence. It's the first week since the start of the season where we don't have any new content, but Bungie have been working super hard on the upcoming Shadowkeep expansion, New Light and Cross Save. So the fact that Season of Opulence has this much content each week is amazing, especially considering now they're an independent company. So really enjoying Destiny 2 at the moment, and I recommend jumping back in if you can. Also this week, I've been playing Limbo. It's a classic puzzle platformer, originally released back in 2010. However, it's been made available for free this week on the Epic Game Store. So if you want to grab yourself a free copy of a classic game, just like I did, then head on over to Epic Game Store right now and pick up your free copy. It's an eerie, strange, challenging platformer that's well worth your time. Now, I'll be reviewing that later on in the show, so if you want to find out what I thought of that, then stay tuned for that game. Fresh off the back of rekindling my love for adventure games last week with my review of Nelly Kutalot, The Foul Fleet on Nintendo Switch, I put the word out on Twitter this week to get some more point-and-click adventure game recommendations. So thanks to everyone who gave me some recommendations this week, and now my Steam wishlist is full of adventure games, including Unavowed and Lamplight City. I'm looking forward to playing through some of these games on upcoming episodes of the podcast, but if you have any suggestions for me for point-and-click adventure games, then send me an email on podcast at thisweekinvideogames.com or tweet me at TWIVGpodcast on Twitter. But first up, let's get into my review of Streets of Rogue. Streets of Rogue is a roguelite 
where you take on many different roles in a procedurally generated city. It's centred around player choice, freedom, humour and anarchic fun. I don't think I've ever come across a game that lets you play it the way you want, like Streets of Rogue. At the basic level, it's a game about completing a number of mission-specific goals with your character on procedurally generated levels, allowing you to progress. The way you go about completing these goals is entirely down to you, using the unique traits of your chosen character. You can use force and shoot your way to the objective, or you can bribe or even convince NPCs in the game to do your bidding by cracking jokes. You can even take on the role of a gorilla and smash your way to the objectives. Throughout the game run strands of humour, which are genuinely funny. The story starts off in Streets of Rogue, with a new mayor coming to power, deciding to confiscate all the booze and set a curfew on the city, instructing the police to weed out all the criminals. The mayor has a deep personal hatred of chicken nuggets, since he got a bad stomachache after consuming one, and now chicken nuggets are the most valuable currency in the game. As part of the resistance, it's your job to take down the mayor and restore some kind of normality back to the city. As the story progresses, you battle your way out of the slums, through the industrial area, the park, downtown, making your way to uptown for a showdown with the mayor himself. Player choice is a big part of Streets of Rogue, and when you first start the game, you'll have six roles to choose from. Each role comes with its own unique loadout and character traits. There's the thief, the gang member, the doctor, the hacker, soldier, and more. For example, the hacker starts out with a special ability to manipulate electronic equipment with their laptop, whereas the soldier can go in all guns blazing with a loadout including a machine gun, grenades and mines. You'll have to pick the best role for the job to complete the level without dying before you can progress to the next. Player roles and characters offer real variation to Streets of Rogue, meaning there's hundreds of hours of gameplay here, as a playthrough with a thief would be a huge difference from a playthrough with the Doctor. The levels are randomly generated at the start, randomising the layout, the goals and the inhabitants of the level, meaning you'll never get the same experience twice. Throwing in the character selection, then you have an interesting game in the mix, which may look like a retro 16-bit SNES game, but it's huge in scale, ambition and execution. The objectives in the level range from blowing up a generator, breaking into a safe or completing a fetch quest for the bartender, as well as the objectives to get to the next stage of the level, there are quests which can be attained from the levels themselves, rewarding you with valuable cash or XP to level up. Once you earn cash, you can start buying items like weapons to attack or complete objectives, or food, and there's other items like cigarettes to bribe the citizens of the city to do your bidding. There's a variety of items like rocks, guns, grenades, cheeseburgers, lockpicks and wall passing devices, which are super useful. The sheer amount of options in the game can feel a bit much on your first playthrough. However, after a few hours with the game, you'll get into it, and learning the systems, items and character traits becomes second nature. The game boasts almost unlimited freedom through its character choice and random level generation. Back at your home base, you can also add modifiers to levels to further enhance the variety. You could easily sink hundreds of hours into the game and not have the same run twice. Streets of Rogue also has support for local and online multiplayer for up to four players, which adds to the fun. Here, combinations of players and roles come into play, and finding the right pairing can be fun. What would a doctor and a werewolf do on a night out? Well, you can find out in Streets of Rogue. Streets of Rogue has great pixel art graphics and a funky soundtrack too. 
Sometimes with the UI there can be a lot of text and playing on Nintendo Switch can feel a little bit tricky at times. The game may be best played on a big screen with a mouse and keyboard rather than a joypad. However, it's a minor drawback in an otherwise enjoyable game. In summary, Streets of Rogue is an ambitious, funny and satisfying game that challenges you but always keeps you entertained. The roguelike genre is popular right now, but Streets of Rogue has depth, humour and character variation to keep you entertained for hours on end. I played on Nintendo Switch, but the game is also available on PlayStation, Xbox, PC, Mac and Linux. Definitely check this one out. So, the game was developed by Matt Dabrowski, and as I said, it's available for Nintendo Switch, PC, Mac, Linux, uh, PS4 and Xbox One, and it was originally released on July the 12th, 2019, and I gave the game a final score of 83 out of 100. So what did you think of Streets of Rogue? Send me an email on podcast at thisweekinvideogames.com, or tweet me at TWIVGpodcast on Twitter. That's it for my review of Streets of Rogue, and as I mentioned earlier before, I was lucky enough to catch up with the creator of Streets of Rogue earlier this week, Matt Dabrowski, and he was kind enough to uh, give us some time and talk about Streets of Rogue. So let's go to that interview now. Welcome back to This Week in Video Games. I'm here with uh, Matt Dabrowski. And uh, thank you for joining us, Matt. And we're here today to talk about Streets of Rogue. All right. Well, thank you for having me on. So how are you doing? I know the game came out of Early Access. Was it on Friday? Yeah, it came out of Early Access Friday. It launched on Steam, PlayStation, Switch, and Xbox. So uh, a lot of of activity, yeah. It's a (laughs) big, big deal, yeah. And it, it must it must be the end of uh, a few years of uh, development and gathering feedback. Um, how does it feel to come out of early access? Um, just very very intense so far. Um, I mean I mean like I it's 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 a giant relief. Uh, and uh, yeah, I mean it's it's really been a long time coming. I mean this I mean the game has sort of been in this state of like. Uh, you know, for a while uh, during early access, I was adding a lot of new content and stuff to the game. And for the last, uh, you know, six or so months, I've just been like doing bug fixes and polish and just kind of anticipating this day. So for it to finally arrive, you know, it was, it was uh, you know, very overwhelming. But um, fortunately, things things went pretty well for the most part. So, um, yeah, pretty, pretty happy about that. Well, congratulations on a uh, successful launch. And could you tell um, our listeners uh, about Streets of Rogue? All right, so Streets of Rogue, it's kind of like, uh, it's, it's a real hard game to kind of like describe in a really succinct sort of way. It's, um, it's well, obviously it's, it's a roguelike, or roguelite, as you can probably tell from the, the title, but it's, believe it or not, not, not like Streets of Rage as a roguelite. Um, the, the title is pretty stupid, actually. Um, so yeah, Streets, Streets, but it's an attention grabber. Uh, so Streets of Rogue, it's kind of like... Uh, well, to describe what the game is played like, you get dropped into into a procedurally generated city. Basically, like unlike a lot of roguelites, not everything's trying to kill you. It's a lot of people just kind of like wandering around and doing their day-to-day business. You know, there's shops, there's homes, uh, there's all that stuff. And you have a few missions in each level, which are like uh, things like you might have to neutralize somebody or you might have to steal something from a building uh, or you might have to rescue somebody and escort them back to the the entrance of the level or something like that. And uh, the way that you you can do these things is is really, really varied based on the the type of character you're playing as and the 
types of skills you've attained throughout the game and the types of items that you've found. Uh, you know, like, for example, uh, you might have a mission to retrieve an item from a chest in a building. So you could just go in and maybe beat everybody up with your fists, or you could shoot everybody, uh, or you could try to be stealthy and sneak past the guards, or you could try to hack the computer, or you could try to poison the air vents. Um, basically, the idea is to, to give the player as much choice as, as, you possi- as, as I possibly can in solving the various scenarios that they're presented with. And uh, also the game is, is for multiple players as, as well. It, it plays really well in single player. That's mostly what I play, and it's really mostly what it's balanced around. But you can play with up to four players locally or online, and, and it can get pretty chaotic. Uh, or if you're really coordinated, you can, you can find some pretty cool strategies uh, to use uh, when you're playing that way that you couldn't do in single player. Um, so I guess that pretty much sums it up. What was your inspiration behind the game? Because it, it's it's hugely ambitious. It's it's very deep, and uh, it's it, there's a lot of great humour in there as well. So, what was your inspiration behind the game? Yeah, well, there's a few inspirations, a few big ones. Um, <clears throat> I, I guess first up would be the uh, the early Fallout games, which were you know you you kind of be you kind of just be like running around towns and doing missions and and just. Uh, you know, making weird little moral choices here and there, and um, I, I thought it'd be I thought it'd be cool to kind of be able to distill that that down to a much more kind of action oriented, uh, easy to pick up and play kind of format. Um, second inspiration was second big inspiration was Deus Ex, uh, which you know kind of pioneered this this idea of just being able to solve missions in a in a variety of uh, of different ways. Um, uh, you know, like, I guess the classic example would be like, you know, air, do, do you want to like go in guns blazing or do you want to like sneak in through an air vent or something like that? Um, you know, I, I hadn't really seen this done in, in roguelite uh, form before. Um, so that was a big part of the reason why um, uh, why I, I thought this would be an interesting project to work on. Um, third big inspiration would be, I guess, this, this old game, this old PC game called Messiah. It's it's kind of like this third this third person person action adventure kind of deal. You play as this little angel who can who can jump into people's bodies and take them over. Like you could jump into a cop or you could jump into a scientist. And um, you know, you, as you're playing as that character, people treat you differently. You have access to different areas. I don't know. I just I just like the whole the whole setup of that game. It's 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 a pretty cool game. Not many people know about it these days, but um, it's worth checking out. Let's see other inspirations. I guess. Uh, well, one of them would be another one would be like Grand Theft Auto, the early Grand Theft Auto games. Just the the amount of kind of mayhem that you could cause in these in these things uh, that was just kind of a, a revelation. And I try to capture a little bit of that in in Streets of Rogue. Yeah, that's that's uh, that about sums it up. And um, there's lots of players to choose from when you start the game. I was wondering who's your kind of favorite character to start off a run. A personal favor would be uh, the investment banker, uh, I think, because it's just it's it's a much more like it kind of. So the way the investment banker works is you are uh, addicted to drugs. You start off, you're feeling okay, and if you don't take drugs or, or some kind of thing that gives you a status effect um, in a certain amount of time, then you'll start to you'll you'll go into like a you know, withdrawal kind of mode where you're losing health on a regular basis and you're not as powerful. So it just kind of keeps you on your toes for the for the whole game and, and kind of forces you to make decisions a little bit more quickly than you would normally uh, have to with other characters. So as, as someone who's, who's played the game a lot, um, yeah, it's a pretty difficult character for most people to play as, but for me it's pretty fun. 
And um, which which character was the kind of hardest to develop in the game? Hardest to realize? Well, um, without a doubt, the shapeshifter um, was the most was the most difficult to realize. Uh, just a lot. So the way the shapeshifter works is that I was talking about Messiah earlier, and it's kind of based off of that. He plays this little weird little devil thingy person, and uh, and you get to jump into people's bodies and take over their. Uh, you know, take over their character, and then when they die, you pop out of their body. Um, but just uh, from a programming standpoint, just making that all work, and um, there, there's a lot of, like, it's just been a major challenge and constant challenge throughout uh, a lot of development since I implemented this character. Because, you know, there's it's just a lot of little things that, uh, that you don't really think about. Um, like, you know, if you jump into, a uh, say, a cop, for example, and you're in front of other cops, um See, normally, normally those cops would be would be aligned to you, but if they see you jump into that that cop, then they it's like oh they know that you're they know that you're now that person, so they have to be hostile toward you. Um, so uh, there's just a lot of little examples of things where uh, being like being become going from being one character to being another character just kind of like complicates things uh, a whole lot. So, uh, that, but I think it was worth it, though. And th- there's a real focus on um, freedom in Streets of Rogue, um, and uh, th- with the amount of characters um, you can you can choose from, uh, the different loadouts, and uh, obviously the the procedural uh, generation of the levels. And w- was the freedom aspect something you really wanted to convey to the player? Um, yeah, completely. Um, I, I mean, I I hope that people you know, approach this in a way where, where they're keeping kind of an open mind and they're not just trying to use the typical roguelike strategy of, uh, you know, just, just either killing everything or trying to min-max and, and just find the, uh, uh, you know, find the most efficient way through the game or something like that. Um, the point of the game is not necessarily to, to, just, to just get to the end of the game, but it's to find kind of creative ways to, creative and fun ways to, to do that with different characters. So um, I hope people... Uh, get a sense of, of just how much is possible with this with this game when they play it. And could you could you tell us a bit more about some of the challenges of the uh, procedural uh, generation aspect of the game? It was, for example, kind of throughout development. Does it throw up like impossible scenarios or things like that? Does it does the procedural generation pose you a, a real challenge? Oh, oh yeah, for sure. I mean, um, I'm. Constantly and still and still trying to figure out ways to to improve things. Um, you know, it's like one of the things I wanted to to do with this game was make it so that it was you know impossible for you to get into a scenario that you just that was just completely unwinnable. Um, and that's that's a, a major challenge when you also have, are trying to have this this degree of freedom that I'm that I'm giving people. But um, I it, yeah, it's pretty it's pretty impossible to like break the game. And it's taken a really long time to, to get it to that point. So the, the game is hugely ambitious, and uh, you've got you've got multiple permutations of characters and items. And you were saying you didn't want to play it safe. Do you think that gamble paid off? Uh, I, I'd say for sure. I mean, um, I, I think people are surprised when they they kind of figure out just just like I was watching this uh, you know this game informer did a like a, a playthrough of the game uh, the other day on their other website before it launched and you know it was one person playing with uh, with another 
with this other person and he's saying like, well, what she's what like this game is letting me do basically whatever, whatever I want. Like what, what can't you do? Like, it's not telling me no. Um, and, and that's, that's something that you don't really often see in, in games. And I think that's a big part of what appeals to people about it because it seems like the possibilities are, are limitless and that's not really, that's not really true, but it, it does kind of open up people's, uh, imaginations. People send me all kinds of like crazy wacky suggestions about things that they, they think could be in the game. Uh, just because, you know, it seems like it could potentially be in the game. Um, so, uh, yeah, I mean, it, it, obviously it took a really long time to get, it, the game has been in development since late 2013. So like five and a half years, uh, I definitely didn't anticipate, uh, taking that long, uh, to, to get something that, that works the way it does. Uh, but, but yeah, I mean, it, it's, I'm loving the response that the game is getting. So, um, yeah, I'd, I'd say certainly it was a good gamble uh, to make. And, yeah, I'm, I'm, I think it definitely paid off. It must be a really um, proud moment when you're, when you're watching other people play the game. And like you said, they say, oh, you know, I think I can do anything. And in, in, um, when you're, when you're uh, creating a game, you want to, I guess, um, extract some emotion from the player and, uh, and you can get that kind of emotional connection to the player. So seeing them uh, uh, react that way must be a really proud moment. Oh, yeah, for sure. I mean, um, just sort of overwhelming positivity. Uh, I mean, for the most part, not, every, not everything, but, uh, but um, you know, I've been, I've been tracking. If you've written something about Streets of Rogue online in the past, um, in the past, you know, since launch or so, there's a pretty good chance that I've seen it. And, um, and uh, yeah, it's, it's, it's really nice to see uh, all, the, all the positive stuff that people are, uh, people are writing about that. It's, it's quite rewarding. You mentioned a bit there about the uh, development time, and I was wondering if you could give us an insight into your process um, for coming up with the idea for Streets of Rogue. Um, did, you, did you start off small and then the scope kind of expanded as you went, or did you start off with the grand kind of plan in your mind and kind of, uh, kind of were later focused on, on that idea? You know, the, the overall uh, idea for what this game was going to be hasn't changed that that much in the past uh, bunch of years. I mean, uh, there, there are certain aspects that, like, I knew, I knew that I wanted just, like, you know, these procedurally generated cities that you'd have to do missions in and you'd be able to do them in a variety of ways. And, I mean, that was sort of the original the original goal of it and... Uh, there were there were certain things there were certain things that you know changed over time. Originally, I didn't know it was going to be quite as action oriented. Um, I thought I thought it might operate uh, like uh, like as a point and click kind of game. You know, it's the the combat is all point and click, and, and you don't even have to use the WASD keys. And uh, originally, like I, yeah, actually, actually, I think um, I think the original idea for how the levels would be structured was. Like okay, so currently you have to do a bunch of missions in each level, and then once you finish them, you you can exit the level. Originally, the idea was you would have something that was blocking you from getting up to the next level, like maybe a police barricade or something like that, and you would just kind of have to wander around town and and um, find some kind of means of, of getting around that. Like maybe you could find an ID card, or maybe you could just find a bomb or something and blow them all up. Yeah, no, it didn't. It didn't really start small at all. I mean, like, uh, I mean, I didn't. I like I said, I didn't think it would take this long to to actually uh, bring this thing to to what it became. But 
like originally when I started this, uh, I, I always knew it needed like, you know, this kind of really nice artificial intelligence in there. I didn't really know anything about artificial intelligence, intelligence before I started working on this game and I didn't know anything about procedural generation. Um, so that right there, I mean, that that's already this, this giant, uh, learning curve, uh, just when you're starting out. Um, uh, and then that took a while to kind of, uh, took a while to kind of get over that, that hurdle. Um, but no, this, I, I don't think I don't think I've ever really started work on a uh, on, on what I would consider to be a small project. Um, like, it, it, like I've never wanted to do like a mobile phone game or anything like that. Just everything I've ever embarked upon has been kind of enormous. What what different dimensions do you think the local co-op and the online multiplayer bring to the game? See, see here's the thing. I, I don't actually play much of that myself. Uh, I, I mostly like playing single player. I, I don't really play online games that much, but people thought this was a good idea. So I said, yeah, I, I, I guess I'll, I guess uh, that's, that's something I need to add if, if this many people are interested in that kind of thing. It, it really allows you to strategize in, in ways from what I can gather from watching videos. Like I said, I don't play this much, but it allows people to create these, these fun strategies like, uh, you know, the classic one is like somebody will tap on the window of a building and then the AI will walk over to there and then the other person will be able to sneak around and maybe chloroform them or something like that. Um, but uh, people are able to break the game in, in very uh, unique and interesting ways uh, from what I've seen. Because like I was saying, the game is more balanced around single player. If I were to try and just balance with all these different character combinations, if, you know, for four player mode or something like that, it'd just be impossible, I think. So there, there's plenty of uh, crazy crap you could probably pull off that I, I'm not even remotely aware of at this point. Um, sometimes people will uh, message me and point out very specific exploits, and sometimes I'll, I'll fix them, and sometimes I won't if it's just um, if it would just break too much of the rest of the game. But um, it's it's all a big balancing act. And um, as, as a developer, uh, testing this kind of game must be, uh, must be a challenge with all the, the, the permutations and combinations. Uh, yeah, for sure. And that's, that's actually a big part of the reason why early access and having this game publicly available before 1.0 release was so extremely necessary. I mean, I don't have a ton of time to just play the game myself. And even if I did... Uh, you know, a lot of people play the game in different ways than I do and, and, and use different strategies and stuff. And, you know, like I was just saying, the, the multiplayer mode, you can't really, I can't really just test that myself. So, yeah, I mean, it's it basically, it's like having a giant QA team all over the world, uh, you know, full of hundreds and thousands of people, you know, reporting bugs to me. And, and that's actually where where I find most of the bugs in the game, the vast majority of the bugs just come from user reports um, and bal balance also and a lot of suggestions. So yeah, this, this game would not be half the game it is right now if I had just developed it in a, in a, total, in a total bubble. Um, but yeah, as far as like all the different ways you can break the game goes, I mean, it, it's, it's just enormous because there's so, uh, there's so many ways that you can combine certain aspects of the game in ways that I wasn't anticipating um, it's, it's just impossible to test for everything, and, and this is the reason why I've spent so much of the game's development just fixing bugs. There's always that moment during development when you're sort of building up to the towards the deadline, and you you, you know you, you you've got a list of like 20 things, but you can only put five things in and focus you know your efforts on bug fixing and things like that. So it's balancing 
I guess the the features and the bugs towards the end of development is a, a super hard challenge. Um, I, I was wondering if you could. Um, so you mentioned early access there, and some of the benefits of early access. Was there any point during early access where you where you added something into the game um, based on some player feedback? Um, yeah, I mean, like, um, I mean, there's, there's been a lot of instances of that. Um, actually, I think the most recent thing was. Um, uh, people who are like hardcore fans of the game. I had done a lot of balance. I had done a lot of like balance changes over the course of the game uh, that kind of limited certain things you could you could do, uh, just because I didn't want people to be able to completely exploit and break the game. But as it turns out, a lot of people actually just really like to play that way. They like to be able to min max their way through the game and, and exploit it as much as possible. So I put a, a mutator in the game called called No Limits, which restores all of that stuff and just. Uh, it tries to take anything in the game where I put an, on some kind of limitation, like for example, um, there's a machine in the game called the Cellomatic, um, where you, you can sell items that you find. And I said, okay, well, I can't let people just get too much cash out of this thing, so I'll put like a limit of three hundred dollars or something like that. People didn't like that, so the no limits mutator just removes that limit. And um, you know, as long as people are using that mutator, uh, you know, they're they're happy that they just get to you know, do crazy things in the game that uh, that completely break it. But, you know, that's fine. That's how they like to play. Um, so I try to accommodate, you know, as many play styles as I can. So, yeah, I mean, that's, that's just one example of uh, something where there was a demand for uh, something that I could, was plainly evident. And so I was like, yeah, I'll, I'll throw that in, sure. And the the game is available pretty much on every on every platform. How was, how was that? process in releasing on it because it's on switch it's on xbox it's on playstation it's on uh, pc and is it on mac and linux as well yeah it's on all of those on mac and linux also um so yeah it's, it's been an interesting process i mean like uh i i, I worked with a uh, uh porting team uh called play everywhere to do the xbox and the playstation and the uh the switch versions and um, so, they, you know, they handled a lot of the stuff that uh, just would have been a, a giant pain for me that, that would have added a bunch of development time of me just like looking through documentation and and trying to figure out, OK, that's how you do this this simple thing. Uh, and, you know, of course, they know all that stuff because they've done this before. Um, so that was that was really helpful. Uh, the game, you know, the game is running in Unity. So to actually get it up and running on these these systems is not really the the major challenge. Um, you know, like I, I had I actually have an Xbox development kit at home and a PlayStation development kit, and I was able to get it up and running before I even handed it off to play everywhere. Um, but you know, the bigger challenges just come from like uh, the little little details. Uh, you know, things like saving and loading. Um, you know, getting the multiplayer implementation correct, um, and uh, also. The, Optimization was actually ended up being a very big deal because uh, the video, the systems, even the Xbox and the PlayStation, and especially the Switch, are not as powerful as a modern PC. I mean, my PC is—I got it around the time I started working on this game in late 2013, and you know, I remember the first time I booted this game up on the Xbox One, and it was like, oh, this is running like crap. Like, I got a lot of work to do. Um, so. Yeah, I mean, like, just I think months of optimization work had to be had to be done to to uh, uh, just make these things run well on these on these platforms. Um, and you know, then there's then there's 
yeah, launching on four platforms was was uh, tricky as well. You know, there's there's a lot that goes into it. Uh, there was there was a major bug actually on Xbox where if you put a uh, custom character into anything other than the top left slot uh, for the custom characters, and you restarted the game, uh, you just wouldn't be able to start a new game. Like it just basically bricked your game until you until you deleted all your save data. Um, which, you know, sent me into a bit of a bit of a panic when I heard about that one. And, uh, there should be a patch out, uh, um, as of right now. I mean, this, this is, uh, should be later this week, actually. Uh, maybe, maybe by the time people are, people are listening to this, but, uh, um, so that was, that was the biggest, uh, the biggest hiccup that we had. But other than that, uh, things went pretty smoothly, I'd say. That's great. Uh, it, it it's almost fitting that the the game is so ambitious that you that you had a, a, such an ambitious uh, launch as well. So congratulations on on a successful launch across multiple platforms. And for for those who don't know, how can players uh, get hold of the game? Um, well, it's if you have Steam or you go onto the PlayStation Store or the Xbox Store or the Nintendo Switch Store. Um, it's it's there uh, if you. Just uh, just look for it. Should be in new releases, or if you search, um, or you can go to streetsofrogue.com, and there's links to all these things. Um, no physical version yet, but um, kind of sort of working on maybe getting something, getting that uh, getting that done. So we'll see. Awesome. Well, once again, congratulations on a successful launch. And uh, I, I wanted to uh, shift away a little bit from Streets of Rogue to, to yourself. And um, now that you've finished the game, you, you, it must be time for a holiday. <laughs> you'd think you'd think that. Um, yeah, it's 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 hard to just transition from uh, from just workaholism mode to uh, you know taking a break. Like right now, you know, the game is launched, and I'm sort of just I'm still tracking a lot of things. You know, doing doing interviews like like this one, and you know, doing a lot of bug fixes and stuff. And I think that'll probably last for. You know, at least the rest of this week and probably into into next week or so. Um, and you know, it's like I keep telling myself, okay, well, I should probably take a break now. I should, should probably, I, I don't know when that's when that's going to come. It's it's it'll come. Just uh, just um, it's it's hard it's hard to transition away at this at this point. Uh, but I would like to, and I know it's good for me. So I should probably just force myself to at some point. I guess it's almost like exercise where you, you you're running and then you you kind of need to do a warm down before you yeah yeah it's kind of it's kind of the period I'm in right now I guess you could say sure well, how how did you originally get into game development uh, so I mean I kind of wanted to do game development since I was a little kid um, my first piece of game development software I got was this this thing called um it's a game it's a program called Game Maker but not the Game Maker people know nowadays it was from a company called Recreational Software Designs um, you can find a bit of information about that on the internet there's not a ton but um, it's so I mean like yeah I was like eight years old I was working with this thing you know you know wasn't able to produce a whole lot. Um, and uh, then later, I was I was a teenager. I I did some games for this thing called ZZT, which was like um, it was actually the first the first game that um, uh, Tim Sweeney of Epic Games uh, put out ever. That was Epic's first product, and um, it was like sort of a game where you could make you could use it to make other games. And there was a whole community of people making games within this game uh, online. And uh, then just started doing. Indie games. This is before Steam was it was out. By the way, this this was like the late '90s and early 2000s. 
Um, so there was really no way to distribute distribute an indie game uh, and actually make money off of it, or no no standardized way, anyways. Um, <coughs> excuse me. So um, yeah, after that, I got into the the games industry. I uh, worked on a, a couple games. I worked on uh, was a tester on World of Warcraft, uh, and then I was I worked on a game called SimCity Societies. And uh, then I was sort of out of the industry for a while and, uh, you know, could, couldn't quite stay away, got the bug again and uh, um, just started making stuff again, transitioning back into it and um, eventually lost my job. And that was around the time I was uh, uh, sort of into development of, of Streets of Rogue. And I was just like, I think I'm just going to keep doing this. I'll just live off savings. And, um, and uh, yeah, so that's that's... That's, uh, I guess, where we are right now. What advice would you give to someone um, if they wanted to get into um, video game development? I'd say, like, um, I, mean, I mean, just uh, don't overthink it too much. There's probably, there's, there's a lot of, like, really great resources online right now. I know, I know it's incredibly daunting to even think about, like, just making a game. Uh, but if you go to, like, you know, Get the game game makers website, or uh, there's an engine called Construct Three that's out that's really good. Um, these are probably better alternatives than Unity, by the way. If you're just starting out on on something for your for the first time, um, you know, if you just go there and you go and do their tutorials and stuff, you can probably have something you know up and running like a little platform or something up, up really really quickly. And you know, it's satisfying to see progress. So you know, I'd say just just uh, just get into it because there's there's no easier time to get into game development than there is now. It's, it may not be the easiest time to make money in game development, uh, but uh, if you want to just start and start messing around and have fun, then this is a great, great time to do it. And um, I, I know it's been a busy time with uh, developing uh, Streets of Rogue, um, but do you get a chance to play anything in your spare time? Uh, these days, no. And I've, I, I'll be honest with you, like I was afraid to like... See, I, I didn't play any other games for a while because I, I, every time I would start, I would just be like, I should probably be testing Streets of Rogue or something. And then it just led to this thing where I was like, okay, if I start playing a game now, I'll just jinx myself. <laughs> I don't know. Just, I was just getting a little superstitious about it. Um, so I'm, I'm really looking forward to, to like maybe binging on some stuff pretty soon. I just they, they just announced the Tetris effect on PC right now for VR, which I just I just bought. I'm really actually kind of stoked about that one, um, and just a whole bunch of whole bunch of others I've been meaning to play. Um, uh, what is that one about the? There's just a bunch of like rats. It's like oh, it's a, God, it's is it a Plague Tale? In yeah, Plague Tale. Yeah, I definitely want to check that one out. Yeah. Um, Bunch of indie stuff as well. I have a giant queue of games that I need to I need to play uh, on my just my Steam library. So yeah, looking looking forward to that. Matt, thank you very much for taking the time to talk to us on uh, this week in video games. Um, uh, congratulations on the successful launch, and uh, I wish you all the best uh, for the future of Streets of Rogue. All right. Well, thank you very much. I appreciate it. Thanks for having me on. Well, that was me there talking to Matt Dabrowski about Streets of Rogue, and it's super fun, and you should go and check out that game right now. It's really, really good. Next up, let's get into Limbo.
So Limbo is a puzzle platform with a gorgeous art style, eerie sound effects and fantastic gameplay. You play through the game as a little boy who wakes up in the woods with little explanation. The game is black and white and has a foreboding feel to it. The forest is clearly full of danger and out to get you, so it's probably best to find a way out there, and fast. Limbo offers you little help other than conveying a feeling of danger. The forest is full of things trying to kill you, traps and obstacles and huge spiders. Some games are full of backstory and lore, cutscenes and explainers to tell you the story, but here in Limbo, there's none of that. You wake up in the forest on your own, and you have to navigate your way through platforming and puzzles to find your way out. Even without the traditional explanation, the game is very good at letting you know what to do, where to go in more subtle ways. In Limbo, you're going to die. But with other platforming games, it's used as a tool to teach you rather than punish you. You'll come across a puzzle or a trap, and it's highly likely that you're going to die on the first attempt. But it teaches you to come back and try a new tactic. Puzzles in the game are varied, and as you make your way through to the second act, the challenge ramps up. The world of Limbo is a disturbing one, filled with bear traps, buzzsaws, and other nasty things that will kill you in an instant. The first time you get caught in one of these is pretty shocking. There are also other children and people throughout the forest, and they're clearly not too happy that you're there. Limbo may seem simple at first with a minimal story. However, it's a great experience that should be savoured like a fine wine. The bleak, black and white world full of menacing silhouettes create a tense atmosphere which pair with the puzzles perfectly. When you do finally meet the other people in the forest, they're there to chase you away with spears and darts. You end up feeling sad for the main character in the game, lonely and in trouble. As well as the environment, the game is full of other nasties that are hell-bent on killing you. Huge spiders that unfurl their legs and they'll creep out on you. If you're not too keen on our arachnid chums, it's, uh, it's pretty frightening. The brain worms drop from above and find their way into your head, make you walk the other way and try and kill you. The graphics in Limbo are simple but effective. The characters and the environments are in black and white, and the textures in the mysterious fog-covered forest further enforce the sense of danger to the player. The scale of the backgrounds makes the protagonist look tiny and vulnerable at times, providing the player hints at the danger ahead. The eerie sounds in the game also complement the strange environment adding to the tense moments. Limbo is an incredible game. It's subtle, it's challenging and beautiful. At the time of writing, it's also free on the Epic Game Store. Limbo isn't a long game, but ultimately it's a very satisfying one. In the world of life service games where games start and go on and on and on, it's refreshing to have a self-contained story. It's touching frightening and satisfying all at the same time. So the game was developed by Playdead Studios and it was originally released back on July the 21st 2010 and I gave the game a final score of 86 out of 100. So what did you think of Limbo? Send me an email on podcast at thisweekinvideogames.com or tweet me at TWIVGpodcast on Twitter. I must admit I missed Limbo when it first came out, but wow, I'm so glad that um, it was made available for free on the Epic Game Store. Uh, it's a really, really great experience, really, really fun game, and I definitely recommend checking it out. So head on over to the Epic Game Store and pick up your free copy today. If you are enjoying This Week in Video Games podcast, then head on over to iTunes and leave us a nice review. It really helps get the word out about the podcast, so if you've got access to iTunes and uh, you would leave a review, I'd really, really appreciate it. 
And don't forget, This Week in Video Games has a YouTube channel that goes alongside with the podcast. YouTube channel has the entire archive of the podcast as well as dedicated reviews, interviews and features. So search This Week in Video Games on YouTube and subscribe today for all the latest content. And if you want to see anything specific on YouTube, send me an email to podcast at thisweekinvideogames.com. It'd be great to hear from you. Next up, let's take a look at the news of the week. So first up in the news this week, PUBG has released info on their anti-cheat methods. So the PUBG developers have given us an inside look on what it takes to battle cheaters in-game. First-person shooters and other competitive games suffer from cheaters DDoSing each other and servers and all kinds of nasty techniques. But the PUBG anti-cheat unit has gone into detail about the measures they go to stop players from cheating. In extreme cases, they can pursue an arrest of the cheater. However, the video mainly goes into details on how they prevent cheats with uh, internal tools. This includes analysing server-side logs to identify the tools used in attacks. So they said, the anti-cheat unit identifies suspicious player behaviour through player reports and our other internal systems. When we find something, we review the related logs, obtain the hack tool or device used and start our investigation. The analysis team and engineering team analyse the hack tool and start developing a response logic. The team stressed the importance of user reporting as well as informing us that they utilise AI techniques to help automated cheater claims. The team stressed the importance of user reporting as well as informing them that they utilise AI techniques to help automate cheating claims. So you can check out the full video from the PUBG team on thisweekinvideogames.com. Head on over to the website and uh, type in PUBG and you'll find the anti-cheat methods video right there. So next up this week, Ubisoft wants you to submit music for Watch Dogs Legion. And Ubisoft is partnering with Hit Record and invites fans to submit music for Watch Dogs Legion. Hit Record is headed by actor Joseph Gordon-Levitt of Looper and Inception fame and allows users of the platform to upload their own content, which can be remixed by other Hit Record community members. As well as remixing features, users can collaborate with the original artist to make new, unique pieces of music. So Ubisoft is looking for 10 tracks for Legion across rock, hip-hop, pop, punk, metal and electronica. If your track is chosen, the collaborators on the track will get $2,000 as a reward. This isn't the first time Ubisoft has partnered with Hit Record. Last year Ubisoft announced it would do the same for Beyond Good and Evil 2 and you can find out more about that on thisweekinvideogames.com. If you head on over to the website and search up Watch Dogs Legion, yeah, you'll find the link to that there. Ubisoft and Hit Record have caused a little bit of a stir this week with some people coming out saying that it's not really fair for uh, musicians and collaborators to submit their music to Watch Dogs Legion. Um, however, it is a voluntary service and it is good to have a platform for kind of new and upcoming artists to get their work noticed. So getting your music in Watch Dogs Legion is a really, really good opportunity. So um, I'm not sure about the fuss that has been created this week on the internet. Um, I think it's a pretty good opportunity. And uh, if you want to get your music in Watch Dogs Legion, um, then head on over to thisweekinvideogames.com and search up uh, Watch Dogs Legion. You'll find a link there to Ubisoft and Hit Records program. So good luck with that. And Watch Dogs Legion releases on March 6th, 2020 on PlayStation 4, Xbox One and PS4. And uh, yeah, it's one of Ubisoft's biggest games for 2020 and set in a post-Brexit London, uh, which is which is obviously personally very interesting. So it should be good. Looking forward to that one. 
Next up in the news, there's going to be no crossplay at launch for Borderlands 3, and Gearbox's Randy Pitchford has confirmed that crossplay won't be a feature at launch for Borderlands this September. However, they're working on it and they want it to be in play soon. So crossplay has been talked about as a feature for the game since the reveal of Borderlands 3 earlier in the year. Fans had hoped it might be there for launch as the game launches on September the 13th for PS4, PC and Xbox One. Other games have recently jumped on the crossplay bandwagon including Dauntless and it feels like crossplay should be there as a standard in the video games of the future. There was some speculation that crossplay would be the subject of the next reveal. However, Randy Pitchford came out on Twitter to throw a bucket of cold water on that one, saying some folks may be speculating that this thing tomorrow may be about crossplay. Tomorrow's thing is awesome, but not about crossplay. But good news, we are committed to supporting crossplay for Borderlands 3 with our partners as soon as it is practical after launch. So good news there. Borderlands 3 is working on crossplay, but it's not going to be there for launch, unfortunately. Next up in the news, Respawn matches cheaters together in Apex Legends. And following on from the earlier PUBG cheater news, uh, Respawn has come up with a novel way of dealing with cheaters in Apex Legends by matching them together. The team behind Apex Legends posted one of their regular updates on Reddit, saying, As we've said before, the war against cheaters will be ongoing and remains a high priority for us. There will always be work to do, improvements to make, and new things to adapt to. We'd like to thank the players that have been getting involved in helping us squash cheaters over the last week, whether it be submitting reports or assisting with the vetting process for suspicious behaviour. And the war against cheaters is ongoing as tactics and methods always evolve. But it's a novel idea from Respawn having them matched together like that. So I'll keep you updated on how that goes, but... As they mentioned, the war on cheating uh, is an ongoing program and it really heavily relies on uh, user feedback and reporting. So if you encounter cheating in either Apex Legends or PUBG or any other online multiplayer game, make sure that you report it and uh, help out the developers and keep the game nice and clean for everyone to enjoy. So next up in the news, Mercenaries for Ghost Recon Wildlands was released this week. Ubisoft has announced a free brand new game mode for Tom Clancy's Ghost Recon Wildlands, Mercenaries, which was available from July the 18th. Mercenaries is an 8-player free-for-all PvPVE gameplay experience. The objective is to call for rescue, locate and reach the extraction point and be the first to board the chopper. At the beginning of the match, the extraction point is unknown and players will have no ranged weapons, gear or items. Players need to locate and activate radio transmitters to shrink the possible extraction zone on the map. In the meantime, players will fight to be the first to gain intel on the transmitter locations while looting gear, weapons and money. After the first player has activated the three transmitters, the chopper will head to the extraction point and once landed, the location will be revealed to everyone. First player to fill their extraction gauge and board the chopper wins. So Mercenaries mode introduces a wealth of new mechanics, including looting for gear, there's armor, health, destructible doors, and uh, additionally, as a thank you to players, the Lone Wolf costume will be given as a reward after completing the first match. So along with the Lone Wolf costume, players will be able to receive a series of rewards based on their wins. So Really exciting game mode there for Ghost Recon Wildlands and Mercenaries is available right now. So if you've got the game, uh, go and download the update and jump right in. Finally in the news this week, Luigi's Mansion 3 gets a release date and Luigi's Mansion 3 is going to be released on Halloween, 31st of October 2019. So it's a spooky release date for one of Nintendo's biggest first party releases of the year. 
Luigi's Mansion 3 was one of Nintendo's games in focus at this year's E3, and many folks who got hands-on with the game came away with positive first impressions. The environments are varied, and you can play as Gooigi, a slime version of Luigi. So you can check out the release trailer for Luigi's Mansion on thisweekinvideogames.com, head on over to thisweekinvideogames.com and search Luigi's Mansion 3, and you'll find that trailer there, and we can all start looking forward to this year's Halloween. Well, that's it for the news this week. Next up, let's take a look at the charts. So the charts this week, number 10, we've got FIFA 19, that's up one place from 11. Number 9 this week, it's Red Dead Redemption 2, that's down one place from 8 last week. Number 8, we've got Super Smash Bros. Ultimate, that's down three places from number 5. Number 7 this week, up three places from 10, it's Mortal Kombat 11. Holding there at number 6, it's Grand Theft Auto 5. And new in at number 5, it's Dragon Quest Builders 2. Staying there at number 4, it's Mario Kart 8 Deluxe. Staying there at number 3, it's F1 2019. Holding steady at number 2, it's Crash Team Racing Nitro Fueled. And still in there at number 1, it's Super Mario Maker 2. And Super Mario Maker 2 is super, super fun, and loads of levels have been created, I think. Uh, there's been around 10 million levels uploaded to Super Mario Maker 2, was in the news this week. And uh, yeah, that's, that's a lot of levels, and uh, a lot of fun to be had. Uh, so if you haven't uh, checked out Super Mario Maker 2 yet, then head on over to thisweekinvideogames.com, search Super Mario Maker 2, and you'll find my review there. Well, that's it for the charts this week. Next up, let's have a look what we've got coming up next week. So next week, on July the 22nd, we've got Beyond Two Souls, that's coming out on PC. On July the 23rd, we've got Biotope, that's coming out on PC. And The Division 2, Episode 1, DC Outskirts Expeditions DLC, that's coming out on PC, PS4 and Xbox One. On the 24th, we've got EA Access coming to PS4. On the 25th of July, we've got Kill La Kill, that's coming out on PC. And then we've got Songbird Symphony, that's coming out on PC, PS4 and Switch. On the 26th of July, we've got Fire Emblem Three Houses, that's coming to Nintendo Switch. We've got Kill the Kill, that's coming out on PS4 and Nintendo Switch. We've also got Remothered, Tormented Fathers, coming out on Nintendo Switch. And Tetsumo Party coming out on PC, PS4 and Xbox One, uh, and also Nintendo Switch. Also on the 26th we've got Wolfenstein Cyberpilot VR, that's coming out to PC VR and PSVR. And finally on the 26th we've got Wolfenstein Youngblood, that's coming to PC, PS4, Xbox One and Nintendo Switch. That's it for next week, let's take a look at what I've been doing outside of gaming. And this week, we celebrated England winning the Cricket World Cup by beating New Zealand in the Super Over last Sunday. As I was recording last week's episode of the podcast, we were playing in the final and I thought it was going to be tight. However, I didn't quite know how tight it was going to be. And it led to arguably the best cricket match in history with England and New Zealand getting a draw on 241 runs each, leading to a Super Over where they drew again. But England won because they scored more boundaries. And it was an unbelievable game full of twists and turns. And Ben Stokes did an absolutely amazing job. Uh, And it was a great advert for the game of cricket. So well done to the boys for bringing home the World Cup. Otherwise this week it's been the 50th anniversary of the moon landing. And there's been lots of celebrations here on Earth. 
looking back at the amazing feat of engineering. So I watched Apollo 13 again. It's a timeless movie, and it's great to see mid-90s Tom Hanks at his peak. I also watched Stargazing, the moon landing special, where they looked back at the landing and interviewed some great guests, as well as looking forward to the future of space travel. It's a great show, and if you're in the UK and have access to iPlayer, then I'll link that show down in the show notes, as it's available for the next 30 days. I've also been listening to the podcast 13 Minutes to the Moon, and that's available on BBC Sounds. It's a great podcast, and if you're into the moon anniversary celebrations, I definitely recommend checking out that one too. I'll also link that one in the show notes. Well, that's it for this week's episode. If you want to get involved in the show, email me on podcast at thisweekinvideogames.com or check out the latest on the website. Send in your questions, your comments, your video game stories. I'm always interested in hearing from you. I'm also available on Twitter, Facebook, YouTube and Instagram, so search This Week in Video Games on your favourite platform and join in the conversation. And if you want to support This Week in Video Games content, then head on over to patreon.com forward slash thisweekinvideogames. In exchange for supporting the show, you get shout-outs, Discord access, exclusive patron content polls, special design podcast scripts and stickers. So if you enjoy This Week in Video Games, then sign up to Patreon. It would be great to see you there. Well, thanks once again for hanging out with me and chatting about video games. I hope you have a good week. I will talk to you again next weekend. But for now, I will see you soon. Thank you.